HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, this is Greg Bresnitz, one half the host of Snacky Tunes. We have had the honor of being nominated by Taste Awards for Best Radio Show and Best Podcast. Please head to bit.do backslash stvote in order to vote for Snacky Tunes and other food favorites. Once again, that's bit.do backslash stvote. And a big congratulations to Heritage Radio Network for being nominated into the Hall of Fame. Thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Today's program was brought to you by Roth, Wisconsin, makers of the world's best cheese and pioneers in the U.S. artisan cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. We talk about food. Talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Where you can call me, shake me, and wake me. Leave the messages on my phone. You got a new boy living with you. So tonight, this boy ain't home. If you say goodbye.
to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Lily Resnitz. And I'm one half your host, Greg Resnitz. Together we make one full host of Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network. We are joined by the amazing chef, taco slinger, man about town, Wes Avila. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, did you bring any tacos? Uh, I get the question every single time. Every single time. You should have made something that was less transportable. It's like if you just went into like filet mignons or like, you know, uh, like a rib. Well, I guess this would take. Yeah. In today's modern age, you can pretty much transport anything. Do you? Do you like any tacos? Oh, no. Because I, I heard. Thanks for coming. It was so nice having you here. We appreciate it. Um, so you are uh, one of the, I don't want to say unique, but you are lifelong born and raised Angelino. Yeah, I was uh, born and raised here in Los Angeles. Uh, grew up in a suburb right outside of LA in Cooper Rivera. Yeah. How much do, uh, does Los Angeles mean to you as far as like when you take a look on your whole life and when you wake up and see what you built and the food that you make that you can trace back to when you were a kid? I think growing up here in Los Angeles, it's become part of me. Like, like I see, I love the city. Like when I go out and visit all these other countries and other cities, and I see the things that I really like and kind of picture myself living there. Um, but and and you know, I really think about that, and when it comes back to it, like I love Los Angeles, and I, I don't think I can realistically ever live anywhere else. For all the people who are living here, like my brother, what is the mile marker year of becoming a true Los Angelino? In New York, it's said to be ten years. What does it take to become true? Um, I think once you drop your hometown baseball team and root for the Dodgers, I think you can consider yourself <laughs> Well, I had to do that on day one, so my wife would marry me, so I guess I'm an Angelino. Um, you know, growing up in, you grew up in uh, Pico Rivera, correct? Yes. And that was a real uh, smorgasbord of hodgepodge of food going up, correct? It wasn't uh, just like Mexican food or South American food, it was like just Mexican food. Um, pretty much Pico Rivera is like, my high school was like 90% Mexican, uh, 8% other, and like 2% black. Right. Like that. Uh, but my school, yeah. and where, I'm, where I grew up, was very Mexican, very uh, South American. And you did have some stuff, like um, some Thai food and things like that. But for the most part, it was Tex-Mex at home, yeah. you know, fast food, and when you ate out, it was maybe something like Chiquis, something like that. Really? And so then when did you start realizing that there was another... Like at 20 years of age, you start realizing there's a whole other world of food out there. Well, actually, like, there was basically two worlds. There was here where I grew up in Pico Rivera, and there was Mexico, and I'd go to, like, Baja with my dad or right. my parents and actually eat some of the seafood down in Ensenada, and you, you get 90 days stuff there. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, you get, like, live plants and oysters and things like that. So that was definitely a part of my growing up. And then here in L.A., it was, like, the fast food kind of text kind of stuff. But um, when I, other than that, like, when I really realized, like, Fuck, there's like so much of stuff <laughs> that it was more. It was probably when I started culinary school and cooking like that. Isn't that such an awesome moment when you go like, oh, I don't know anything, yeah, and what I don't know seems to be insanely delicious. That happens every time I travel. Every yeah. time I eat somebody else's food. Every time I visit another country or another culture and see like how different and they treat the same exact ingredient, it always blows my mind. It's always awesome. But it wasn't just food. Also, music played a big influence in your life as well. Oh, music's always been a huge part of my life. First album, what'd you ask? First album that I bought, like, honestly, was probably the Time Life 1957 rock and roll compilation. That is all next That's a real answer. That, that, that is a real answer. You never believe like, oh, I bought the Sex Pistols. Uh, that's not a bad me. Yeah, you know, no. My life. I got really into Obama and, like, got into rock and roll. Oh, my God. I started being into a whole lot of people. You know what? I eat your tacos. Like, 
because I chase the phone. Yeah, that's not the best But see, you the music, and so at what point were you just like, I love music. Like, did you think that a career in music or DJing or anything like that might be your path to like creativity? Well, I had cousins from Indiana that were DJs, and they introduced me to like breakdancing and hip hop and early '80s hip hop. And so they had like vinyl, and like it was always like vinyl, vinyl, vinyl. Even yeah. then, like when you get the CDJs there, and even the best now these clowns with computers. But it's, like, it was just like as former clowns with computers. Yeah, right. yeah, like, yeah, but yeah, of course. You know, it can uh, the the. Um, Understatement and appreciation of having like cool older brothers or cousins can never go insane, especially when it comes to music. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it started from there, it started hip hop there, and then coming back to LA, it was like that's when just hip hop just was like the, the, oh, yeah. the peak, you know, and got into really the, the house scene, and like, and then as I grew older, got into like, well, you know, like, you know, track all and you start hearing like, what did they sample? You start hearing records to sample, you start going and digging, you know, within this thing, and you just can't get my blood on it's interesting to see the lineage of both music and food and how I go like, oh wait, how was that dish made? Let me go back and see where they're going from the same thing happens with music. Yeah, absolutely. As you get people who are influenced by or they apprentice under somebody and they get their style a little bit, they morph it, they transit to them and like in a couple of years. You know, like in the last twelve years I worked for different chefs, so you learn here and from there and absorb and what can you, I mean, and we'll, we'll get to this a little bit later, but just since you brought it up, is there something in your cooking life that you have held on to for a decade or more that now shows up in your truck? Um, as far as... Like, like an ingredient or a cook or anything like that? Probably just... Probably getting whatever ingredient it is that's the best and just kind of presenting it simply. That's one of the earliest lessons I had in the yeah. kitchen. It's like, you can, get a, you, know, you can get a really beautiful piece of fish, but if you have a cook that doesn't know what you're doing, you can ruin it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So let's go back to, so you're in your teenage years. Mm-hmm. Um, food still is not, food is not a big deal. No, I, I played sports, so I ate like, like not very well. I ate a lot and worked out a lot. But music at the time was super important to me. Yeah. And that's when I started getting into DJing and doing house parties and being a big part of the, like, the, the LA, like, Backyard party fires and was that awesome? Thanks. Did you ever see DJ? Yeah, okay. Okay. How was that? How was that? DJ was. DJ was. So you after after uh, high school you went out and actually became a teamster, right? Yeah. Um, my dad had been working at this place. Like he he immigrated here like in the mid seventies. Started working at this uh, factory in Whittier. That actually started in Sunday Springs and moved to Whittier and back to Sunday Springs. And then I. Basically, just follow his footsteps, so he hated that. He did not like me out there. Really? Yeah, because he's like, I didn't come to this country so you can like do exactly what I do, so he did not like it. So when you were like, after a few years of being a teamster, you're like, I'm going to go be a chef, and he's like, don't cook. Yeah, when, when I decided to leave, he was very supportive. He's like, I don't care, I don't want to leave, or what <laughs> But I, he's like, go do something else. It didn't matter what, but just don't do what I do. And as someone who wasn't into food and industry, how did you make the transition or where did the inspiration come from to go to the culinary institute? Well, I was, I, I mean, I've always been, I've always enjoyed eating, like, a lot. You sure. Know? And so it's like, but I still, even in my mid-20s, I, like, I didn't eat at, like, fancy places or anything like that. Yeah, but, but being at a, like, being at a fancy place doesn't mean you're not eating a lot. Yeah, yeah. So what were you eating at, like, what was, when did, like, what were you eating and what did that transition start looking like? I think I can do this. Probably when I go to like 
Rosarito or Ensenada and eat lobster or, sure. you know, um, go to really good, like, unicorn back in, like, mm. the early 2000s, you know, for Thai food and, like, and tasting things and, like, trying to make them at home and being able to make them without looking at a recipe and just, like, by memory. And I was like, maybe I'm not good at this. So, like, how are you able to, like, what is that thing? That, that's a lot of like, people start to realize, like, oh, I can actually make this at home. How did you, what skills were you pulling from that you knew how to actually, like, cook and break things down and make things to taste it, it might not have been, like, the techniques that I had. I definitely had zero technique, but as far as flavors and ingredients on, on the right way to do it, like, the right, I'm going to try, like, all right, I find the right path. Like, this has this kind of, this has ginger, this has this, that, that, you know, and, like, being able to decipher and, like, kind of put the flavor, <laughs> but adding it those skills into a much later, like, actually more than training and learning. Okay, well, we're going to take a quick musical break, and we're going to then talk about your entry into the fine dining scene, and we'll be right back on Snacky Tunes. And we're back. <laughs> we're back. We're coming live from you, Taste Talks LA, with Wes Avila of Gorilla Tacos. Um, so after you left uh, the Teamster world and you started cooking, um, you went to cooking school. Yes. Which, uh, you know, there's an argument now that cooking school is maybe the path, but not the path, but... For you, who seems you know to like the right thing to do, just to like get in there and to understand how it worked. At the time, I didn't think there was any other way. I didn't think I could have learned. Sure, or open doors, and in you know hindsight, you know. but now I would tell a young cook if a young cook was like, I want to think about going to corner store, I want to learn these things. I'd be like, don't waste your time. At least not in America. Not it's too expensive for what we get. I mean, it's like fifty, sixty thousand dollars. It's more than that. But honestly, go to a junior college and get that kind of general, sure, like bulk kind of like cooking and some kind of basics down. I am totally supportive about that. But if you can go to culinary school, I'd say go to a cooking school, go to you know, go to one in France, go to one in Spain, get something different, throw something different in your belt. If you don't know the, if you don't know the language, so learn yourself and learn it because it will push you and challenge you. If not, you'll just be like everybody else because I mean, a lot of the kids that I went to school with that aren't kids anymore don't cook anymore. Like, even immediately at school, we got out of school, like, I'd say 70% of the class was like, this isn't for me. And you might have spent, you know, 70 to 80 grand. And so, like, there's, like, professionally, there's four people in the class of 80 that I know that are still folks. But they're all, like, pretty high up, like, you know, some of their careers. But, I mean, if you look at food as an art, it's, you know, in a creative field. Making in that creative field is tough. And, like, sticking it out, like, you could be a writer. You could be on the line for 20, 30 years. But to, like, have them do what you do, it's, 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 it's rare. Even for those times. Yeah, I, I mean, I think a lot of it is timing and just luck. Like, we started to do grilled tacos. Um, and we be completely honest, before a lot of people were doing tacos with sweet potatoes and tacos with sharp and ingredients like that. So we kind of found, like, that all the time. And then we started seeing other people, like, Kind of like in other cities, doing the same thing, which was really cool, and it became kind of like a movement, like a California thing. Yeah, you know, so that it, it just kind of like, you know, like it just was time for this kind of emergence of food style to come up. So you have a strong background in fine dining. How did that get started? A lot of chefs talk about like when they first stepped into the first like fancy kitchen. What did that do to your mind, your insights, and sensibility? Well, when did it start? It started in. Two thousand five, I went up to Paris, I read about this restaurant in Brighton, and I happened to have time off. I went up and traveled up there, and, and really enjoyed the. I really enjoyed the vibe. Like we went in there, and it was probably maybe ten tables with like a couple of deuces on them. So at the most, there was probably twenty people in there. Yeah. And then when I went back to meet the chef, there was six, seven cooks. Wow. And it looked like a. It looked like 
hospital, most beautiful, clean, white. There's no cleaning, no cleaning, and yelling, no swearing, no. You can barely hear what they're doing. The move look like almost like ballet like moves, you know? So that like blew my mind. Like, it doesn't have to be like a slop house, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, just like hack style cooking, you know what I mean? Like, it was very elegant and very amazing. It really attracted me to want to push myself like that because it was completely different than anything I had been exposed to, even in corner school at that time. So I, you know, went up there, Saj, and again, went to go and cook, and I ended up there with, with help. And what was that? I mean, was that, you would say, like the, a big transformative moment for you? That was definitely a big transformative yeah. moment. Because, um, like, before that, I didn't really have any, it was too clear, too busy for me to go. It was either go to New Orleans and go cook, or else I was going to go to Central California to cook. And I'm glad I, I'm glad I chose Central California because that was literally the same August Katrina happened. So I, I moved up to Carmel in July, so it was very possible. I was, I was looking at this in New Orleans, and I was like, no, I think this is more my style. It's California, like the chef, he's like, he's from here, he's, he's doing some really interesting stuff. And so I decided to stay, and that's, that's the moment that, like, after I worked there and I like, experienced that, like, that I really liked that kind of high end of cooking. And, but one of the, one of the things that stuck with me in my career is I, I went and staged at um, release and met Brendan Collins there. And he, I remember he, he gave me advice that I'll never forget. And he said something along the lines, because I was and bounced around from different restaurants to try to go And he's like, he's like, Wes, if you stay in front of dining, just prepare to give up how you lived in Carmel, prepare to do the same thing here, because it's much harder. You have to give up, like, you know, holidays. And basically everything that I kind of do, which I really put in perspective, was like, you, you will never, ever, like, make a living to pay your student loan doing the right dining until right. you get to a certain level. And, like, he was absolutely right. So I basically kind of pulled away from that and just started looking for work that would actually pay my bills. And so that's, that's, that's kind of and So this whole time you've been cooking in California, did you ever start to think that you might want to go abroad or get out of the state to get like, a little bit more experience before you started your own in California? Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't set out to start my own thing. I didn't. I didn't have a plan. Like, okay, in two years I'm gonna start my own thing. It was more. I'm working with a chef, and I want to keep getting more experience with my belt. So, and that's when I went to around the time that I went to France, and then I, I went to Paris, and there's a, a center for my son that only class. And then no big deal. No, well, I mean, it's just I mean, it's a school, and, and it's but they, it's just a school. It's just a school. It's very very intense. It's just, it's just a school. I didn't. I didn't speak the language, so. I spoke a very broken French Spanish yeah. hybrid, which sure. I'm very cool with. And um, yeah, like I was the only brown guy there. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, they were really cool. They're like, they find out we're off from LA and they're like, oh, keep listening to us. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Don't ask any more questions. So you stayed with Europe, and it seems like you have this passion for music, this passion for LA, you have this, this background, everything's built up. When did everything start to fall into place and you start to go on this own path, though, that you walk holidays off and can't do fine dining all the time? Like, when did everything start to coalesce into your current situation? Well, it was almost by accident. Um, I was working about four days a week at the Contour, which is a pop up, which we opened a certain amount of time, so it started little by little, like, my savings started getting smaller, smaller, smaller. Sure. And I had less and less money by, like, working these hours, so I was like, I need to do something on the side to like supplement my income. So that's when I went and started. I had a cart that I bought for a family party. We used this cart. I, I called up one of the owners from Handsome Coffee and I was like, I got this cart. Mind if I set up? He's like, yeah, bring it on down. So I went on down and. and what year is this? This is 2012. This is August of 2012. Isn't it so nice when people are just like, yeah, can we, yeah, 
They say yes. Yeah, he was just like, yeah, sure, come on down. Uh, he was like, um, it's not going to be anymore, like, they moved to location. Sure. So we had that slot open. So I came in, started selling tacos, didn't know what I was doing at all, didn't have change, didn't have a tent, it was like 102 degrees, humid, had a barbecue, like, cooking on fire. It was insane, but it was like, awesome. And then, in the early days, what did the menu look like? The first day, I'll tell you, it was Carnage Salad Chicken. Just that? Just that's it. And then, like, the, the week after that was Carnage Salad Chicken and then Potato and Corn. And then after that, I was like, I asked some of the customers, like, if I got better ingredients, would you guys pay a little bit more? And they're like, yeah. So they went from dollar to, from $2 tacos to $3 tacos and then started getting better ingredients and better ingredients and better ingredients and stuff that's harder to find and several sorts, like, wanting to get a screw. I had this guy that would, like, he had chickens in. What is this? Um, not Boyle Heights, just north of Boyle Heights, Lincoln Heights. And I drive up the hill, and he had he gave me like four dozen eggs that were like all weird sizes for like you know, ten bucks. Yes. And um, so I was really into like looking because I was only two weeks. Yes. I had the time to go look for cool shit. So. And, and where else were you sourcing from? Where were you getting your muscle from? Where were you getting your uh, other ingredients? And did it harken back like the days of like digging through crates through records? It might have been. It might have been something because I really enjoyed it. I mean, at the time, like. Trying to find the most obscure, like, all right, this guy has a sell too, so I'm going to sell too. So yeah. This guy has, like, all these, like, half moon cl- uh, scallops. I'm going to take all these scallops. So that's kind of, that, that's where I went with that. We're going to take a quick musical break, and we're going to talk about Fuller Tacos and its continued evolution, and we'll be right back on Snappy Tunes.
back to Snacky Tunes. You're here. <laughs> Live at Taste Talks. With Wes, up to Gorilla Tacos. Um, so, you're down in LA. Uh, you're open two days a week. Um, sounds like sort of a ragtag shuffle sort of setup. And, and what's the evolution? Because I think it's interesting. You started with two and then three and building a relationship with the customers. How did it continue to evolve until, what was the time frame from going from your cheaper ingredients to where you kind of felt it was a good place and you were serving the tacos and at the quality and the price that you wanted? About, I'd say about a month. It, wow. it started because I was like, all right, I need something to separate from what everybody else is doing. You can get kind of sauce somewhere else, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. So let me get, I mean, I have this, this training, but I'm going to use it and get different ingredients. So I started incorporating seafood, I started incorporating more vegetables, and we started opening up in the morning, so we're doing that kind of breakfasty kind of stuff. So it really allowed me to push myself and do like different things. And I was the only cook. There was no, I didn't have anybody helping me as far as I could. And I cooked everything start to finish, washed everything start to finish. So like my day was basically uh, about 6 a.m. to about, it's about 1, 2 in the morning. Yeah. So that's a long day. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm prepping everything, roasting everything. This is in my house. There's no commissary. There's no like, partner that helped me like get this awesome space to do this prep. So everything's done in this little apartment window, put it in an ice chest, put it in my truck, bring it down and set up and just do it immediately. And it burns in the The cops were okay with it, but that's why we had the little talkers. Because they shut us down, they're like, you guys can't be here. No, let me see your apartment. I was like, and I knew like, like, oh, oh, like, <laughs> 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 yeah, I forgot it. Like, This is, you know, you can't be over here, so like, we're gonna have to like move, we're gonna have to like, shut it down. It was very nice, and we moved for another space, and then that space, the cops went, they were actually like, well, just move back a little bit so people can walk by the street. That's and nice. Like, and give us four topics. And it wasn't, it wasn't so <laughs> So we were doing that for a year, and I loved it. I mean, I was on flip flops, you know, not having to pay for any permits, not having yeah. employees, anything. You know, and so like when we got shut down, we came. We were starting out when we were really like getting really good press. At yeah. That point. And this is like summer of 2013. Uh, this is August, almost exactly a year. And um, cops came and they're like, "You need to shut down." And we're like, "Well, can we just give away this food because I don't want to waste it?" Yeah. Like, yeah, giveaways. You know, just kind of go. But people were giving fifty dollars tips because they knew we were getting shut down. Like, that's so awesome. We were shut down. So um, the cops were like, "No, that's it. Party's over." Like. Oh, they started seeing it the yeah, fifties. Yeah, they started seeing it. We were getting money even for the food. We're like, "Hey, you're gonna mess up. If you don't shut this down, now we're gonna have to switch sides." Yeah, 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 shut it down. And so then, when did I mean? So you knew at some point it had to get a little bit more formal. Yeah. And so and so, how did that happen? And was it easy to do it? Uh, no, I wouldn't say it was easy at all. I think it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do because, like, we went from doing this cart that's completely gorilla um, within four days of getting the food truck and getting every license that we needed to do. So we didn't skip a beat. Like they shut us down the next week. I had to, I left on vacation to, to Chicago. While well, in Chicago, I orchestrated and organized getting this food truck, getting my permits. And we drove a ride up and we're like, of course, because they somebody called the cops to shut us down. On that oh side. man! So who was that? Never. No, yeah. I, I have a hint, but I. Have a hint. Oh, so you know. Um, and so around this time, when everything starts to coalesce, there's this. Like unofficial movement that also starts to coalesce of uh, Alta California cuisine. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like the who else is part of that movement and what goes into it? Yeah, it's, it's kind of started like I'd say around 2012, 13, 14. Now it's like 
kind of a thing. It's like these chefs that are, you know, American, born here, but my parents are, are Mexican or from South America, you know, and you, so you, you grow up with this kind of American feel, but you're very much in tune with your roots. And I'd say the big people that are part of this probably like Ray Garcia, mm. um, Carlos Salgado, mm-hmm. and Eddie Reese. So, like, I mean, they're, they're doing their food, but with this training that they kind of got from I mean, there there has been that big argument, um, even when we look at Mexico City and Pujol and things like that, um, about like people think of Mexican food as this very like cheap like, dollar taco, but it's actually one of the most complex, delicious. I mean, when you think of a mole that has hundred ingredients, like yeah. I'm sorry, you know, the French mole sauce has like, four ingredients, yeah. you know. So you look at these ingredients and these sauces that have also it's like how. How would you expect that it's not to have cost more? Yeah. And how do you like especially comment that or champion that when people come to you with like this idea that well this is an authentic like I can get a dollar twenty five dollars? We've had that we've had an experience when we opened when we first opened it, we get a lot more people saying like I can get these in Highland Park for a dollar fifty because I can go go to Highland Park and go. Yeah. You know what I mean like it's, it's like, what am I doing? I'm gonna beg you to stay and buy like my my fancy tacos. You know, yeah. so it's like if you don't like it, you know, basically fuck off, you know, so it's like... <laughs> <laughs> did, did they even buy the taco? No, one guy, one guy straight up, like, I remember at that, at the point, I already had, like, I had people kind of, like, would say that, and I explained to me, I was very, at the time, I was very much like, this is why, blah, 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 and most of the time, like, I got two dozen different shape size eggs, and I mean, I'm yeah, for you. Yeah, well, this, this one guy was like, do you know where you're at? We're in LA. I was like, I'm from LA. Where are you from? Yeah. And he's like, like fuck you. You're like, come at me like that. And then he's like, well, these tacos are ridiculously expensive. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, have one for free. Here, tell me what you think. And he was like, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Did, he, did he buy a second one? He bought a second one. Good for him. Then he just, yeah, I mean, like, I bought two, but. No, and then, and then I started being a little bit smart about, you know, not having like that so standoffish attitude. And somebody was like, you know, this is pretty expensive. It's like $5 for this work. And they got, I go, give me a thing. Yeah, I mean, right. I mean, I had, you know, when I went there, I had the uni tostada. I was like, you know, this is a plate if I went to a sit down restaurant where they serve uni, like, this is going to be 15, 20 bucks. Easy. 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 And yeah. I, was there anything in your ex- experimentation that didn't translate in a taco? A lot of stuff sucked. Like, why? One that was, like, horrible that, like, I brought back, it's actually really good now, is an eggplant taco. First, the first one I did was roasted eggplant with fresh, fresh chickpeas yeah. and like this burnt tomato chili, and it, it just didn't work. And then it might, have, it might have been where we set up too. We were at South Park at that point. We were yeah. set up in front of Cafe Wilson. People did not respond, so I was like, yeah, this is bullshit. So we put it back on the drawing board, and I've done it like, you know, it's actually on the menu like right now. It's speaking. It's like eggplant with fried cheese. It's just awesome. That sounds like once you get that fried stuff, you got a little texture balance that. Maybe it's like a little bit more crunch? Yeah, it just needs something. Yeah. Something that was missing. I mean, I've, like, I've done stuff where it's like a complete nightmare, but, you know, you don't serve those things. Yeah, but maybe eat them at home. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And have you gone back into um, fine dining kitchens and dining nostalgias as you've done grilled tacos to keep up that side of education? Um, actually, no. Like, my, my learning, I, I'm, I'm more into learning people's, like, rustic techniques and, and, and things that aren't, I, I try not to, to pay too much attention to trends because they come and go. Like, yeah. for a while, when I was like in the middle of my career, like in the beginning, it was a lot of everybody's up about LBE, seeing everybody's speeding this, everybody's sharing this. And then for a while, and then after that, it was like, oh, it's cool to go forage now. So when you go to the San Diego Mountains and get fucking like mugwort to make beer, that's all it was. You know, it's dry, it's a fat, and I'm this. 
that one didn't land. I mean, yeah. in Northern California, I get it way more, but and then worship actually has his own time to go forage that morning. You know, like you're not going to find very much stuff, and not to serve restaurants. No. You know, like people watching TV shows and get so much influence from it that they don't let themselves just kind of be. And it's cool to ferment things. We don't have to ferment things. Everything grows in California year-round, pretty much. So it's like, it's not really like, like I, I see in like getting different flavors and developing, and I think that's cool, but for like people need to be careful with these trends because these things come and go and they, they evolve and like you're just like a splash of pan kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the now and the next. Uh, Trump's got a makeover. Yes. Who did the, who did the art? Vile. Vile. It, it looks gorgeous. Yeah, he, he did a really good job. He did our first truck. Yeah. And, um, after careful consideration of my partner, we decided to go with Vile again, and um, he, he killed it. He did such a good job. And do you find, what made you want to, I mean, the, the truck's iconic, you know, it's sort of like a beacon. I know uh, our buddy Kong was always like, when he's driving past, he's like, oh, I see the truck, and I recognize the colors, and I like, start to look for parking. But what made you want to sort of like, do a fresh coat of paint? Being, I mean, being from LA, it's always been like a part of it, like the hip hop movement, like um, graffiti, and graffiti music, you know, DJing and breakdancing with the elements, and it's always been a huge part of like myself growing up. So on the first part, we had um, Hex doing. Hex did like this graffiti, yeah, grill top was on it, and it was very much a part of our thing. So, and then even the people who print up our shirts, there's like Hidden Run Crew here based in Los Angeles. They work with like he'll do a run of shirts for us, like 20 shirts, and then that's it. We change on another 20 shirts, and we change for it. And it's frustrating people because they can't get certain prints and things like that, but it kind of keeps it fresh, like how you know it's the idea we have like the tacos and things like that. Do you find that? You know, I mean, now with the current state of food and things like that, that just serving up good tacos or good food anywhere um, gets you to a point. But, like, you know, I was like, I was like, how raised to shirt here? And, like, it's really awesome to see out and like, you're building a brand. Yeah, it's just food and, like, you know, you look at these smaller places, like the food trucks, it's like, well, I really need to get on a truck, we just need to build out like, what we're doing and, like, have all those sort of merchandise and things like that. Yeah. Um, do you find that that's an important part of your growth? I think it's a very important part because it shows, it lets people support, like, you know, that they're down with, like, our food and, like, with kind of what we stand for and, like, just, like, you know, being a part of all Los Angeles, you know? So, like, very much like LA and Los Angeles, like, it's, it's part of our branding. It really is part of our branding. I never thought about, like, our brand, but it's sure. just kind of like, hey, this sounds cool, let me do this. Hey, I know these artists, let me get them to do this. And it was more of a, just kind of a natural thing like that. And now it's more thought out, like, we should work with this guy because he did some really cool work for us. And so that's kind of like, that's this. It's awesome. It's like seeing band t-shirts out. Yeah. It's like, oh, cool, like, you know about that. Like, yeah. you waited in line, you got the chicken, you got the taco, you got everything. Um, so what's next? Bread and mortar. Yeah. Why bread and mortar? It's time. 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 It's Blown up. It's just like it, it's not. It's not. I'm sick of the truck. I don't mind the kitchen being that small. I'm sick of if the truck is late because I'm sick of the axle broke. The truck crashed. Sure. Somebody sideswiped us. Somebody like stole this from the truck. It's just like it, it just. So when people say like, "Oh, these problems with restaurants," I'm like, I get it. I get it. I've worked with those for years before I got this truck. And so when people think the truck is like, "Oh, I can go open this like little fancy." Uh, whatever kind of food and it'll blow up and it's not like that it's so hard it's such a hard business it's like, can you say where it's going to be the brick and mortar yeah, yeah for some good oh nice yeah. how bad our sisters um, how big is that 2900 square feet that's it's awesome going to have a patio full liquor license uh when when yeah when not soon enough summer 17 
Summer 17. Okay, so you can still cast the truck a little bit. You can cast the truck for us, um, the truck for the next uh, half year. Awesome. But um, yeah, we're already picking tiles and with the designs done and we have the space, it's going to happen. Awesome. Well, we're super excited. I got one last question for you. So, based on the advice from the fine dining about give up your life, give up your weekends, give up everything, what have you found the lifestyle is like with the truck uh, versus what you think you might have had with the fine dining? Lifestyle? I give up more than I would have been. <laughs> like, I live, the truck is like literally attached to, at the hip. Like, it, it's, it's ridiculous how involved I am with it now. And it's like, it's so much more being, I mean, being like, you know, the owner and stuff, it's basically. But would you have changed the thing? Fuck no. Fuck yeah. Alright, well thank you everyone for hanging out. We really appreciate it. We have a, a live band coming up next in the studio. And where can people find you, follow you, find the truck for the final six months? Uh, Facebook, of course, uh, Grill Tacos, our webpage. And then it'll link you up to our Instagram and all that other stuff. You gotta, you gotta do something like like a sh- shirt for every last month of the truck. <laughs> that might be a good idea. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. That's a no. That was a hard no. That's okay.
hurt me again. Don't hurt me again. Oh, you never felt this lost before, and the world is closing doors. I never wanted anything more. Oh, you never felt this lost before, and the world is closing doors. I never wanted anything more. Don't let me make the same mistake again. Don't let me make the same mistake again. Don't let me make the same mistake again. Please don't let me make the same mistake again. Oh, you never felt this lost before, and the world is closing doors. I never wanted anything more. Oh, you never felt this lost before, and the world is closing doors. I never wanted anything more. Don't let me make the same mistake again. Don't let me make the same mistake again. Please don't let me make the same mistake again. Don't let me make the same mistake again. Have you tasted the world's best cheese? Grand Cru Sirchois is the 2016 World Cheese Champion. Our partners at Roth, Wisconsin make this gorgeous alpine-style cheese in the rolling hills of Greene County, Wisconsin. Grand Cru Sirchois is produced by hand in Swiss copper vats and finished by aging on spruce planks. The quality milk and careful craftsmanship bring out the award-winning light floral notes, nutty undertones, a hint of fruitiness, and a mellow finish. Perfect with Riesling and Muscat, Grand Cru Sirchois is a guaranteed hit for any occasion. Check out their other offerings at RothCheese.com. You'll discover Buttermilk Blue and their newest release, Prairie Sunset, the golden-hued love child of Mimolette and Gouda. You'll also find recipes like the Raclette Reuben and Tomato Tartlets. Everything you need to know about the world's best cheese is at RothCheese.com. Welcome back. We got Fletcher C. Johnson and crew and house. Boys, you want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, I'm John Doherty. I play drums. Todd Martin. I play the bass. And I'm Fletcher. You might remember Todd from the last time we did the show. I do. He was the paper cutout that we brought in. Oh, yeah. Well represented. Uh, if anyone wants to go back and hit pause on this episode, it was episode 95, and it was almost like four years to the day. Well, we it, are, it took us four years to do the new record, so oh, okay. that's it, about how that works out for us. That is about how it works out. It was it was a post-Thanksgiving episode, which is what this will be as well. So welcome. How's your cooking been? You couldn't cook four years ago. Can you cook now? No, I no? can't. I okay. really... I have less. That's I what people... cook less. Cook less? That's what people were kind of... You know, that's the question they wanted us to ask for your follow-up. Yeah. 
putting putting me on a cooking show isn't the wisest thing. We are on the you're on the music part, so it's the second right. half. Okay. So lessons in tenderness, new record. Yes. Really interesting. So four years. Take us through those four years. A lot of couch surfing, a lot of wandering. How did the uh, how did the record get started or the process of it get, getting made? Um, it was me and John. John's the newbie because he's been in the band for about two year and a half years. But uh, me and Tommy, who was the old drummer, we started working on Lesson to Tenderness. And Todd, I don't know, just the slow. I write songs. I can write about seven minutes worth of music per year. That's what I've learned. <laughs> Well, I mean, your songs Quality. are only like two and a half minutes anyway. So that's like right. three and a half that's, songs. Yeah, that's yeah, it's a good ratio. There's a lot of bad stuff that I write, but it's about seven minutes of quality music per year. It's not seven continuous year. minutes. It's not, say, so yeah, yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, there's bad breaks. And then, uh... So you ended up, uh, you took a tour to Texas and California. You ended up living in a practice space in Orange County. What was the name of the practice space and what was it like living in there? Well, I would just when, uh, so we were on, Burger Records did Salutations, and Burger Records did Lesson and Tenderness, who are good friends of ours, and my favorite label. Amazing label. And I went to Burger Records, having never been in the store, it's a, it's a record label and a storefront, so I went out there, figuring out, I just decided I was going to live with them for a while. I liked them, I hadn't physically met them, but I talked to them on the phone, they'd done a record, and I really liked everything they were doing. So I went out there to live with them, but I learned that they lived in the store. Like, they didn't even have apartments themselves. So Do they have bedrooms? They don't, no. Um, one, one of the guys mostly sleeps in the back room of the store, and the other guy sleeps in the van that they own uh, in the parking lot behind the store. I remember when Darren and I, our first um, apartment, if you want to call it, it was essentially a room in New York, and there was one odd just random piece of drywall that was in a corner. And so Darren shoved a mattress in there and I just slept in the living room. And that was that was fine. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that was fine. So uh, You were doing better than Sean and Lee are doing from Burger Records. I mean, is it now just like a point of pride? I mean, I feel like burgers should be doing well enough that they could get at least I, a, they just a, sink all the money back into putting they right about the time I think they could get a nice apartment, they just there's another record they hear and they want to put that out too. Or another festival. Yeah. So where did you live? If they were living in the back of the store in a van, where did you... Well, we know from New York City about having uh, rental practice spaces, which isn't as necessary in Los Angeles because people have basements and things there that we don't have where you can make a lot of noise. But I just, I was, I remember sitting on the couch. I had a book that I pulled off the rack. Was, I was slowly realizing that staying with the Burger Records guys was not going to work out for me. And Did the van have uh, a back seat? <laughs> What? Did the van have a back seat? We had a, yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> Lee's sleeping in the van, so he had a back seat, but I don't, you don't want to share a van. I had my own van. Okay. Uh, I just looked into practice spaces, because we were finished. There's a member of the band, Adam Meisterhans, who plays on the Lesson Tenderness record, who uh, was from West Virginia. He's living in Nashville now as a studio musician. He's a really excellent player. And he had done the tour, and I wanted to get him on the record because he knew all the songs. So it was also about the cheapest way to live and get Adam Meisterhans to play guitar on the record. So I just looked up practice spaces in the Orange County area, which is where Burger Records is, and uh, ended up living in that practice space for about two months. Did anybody say anything? Did they know, or were you just very careful? 
No, they really didn't care. I, I almost lucked out because the practice space was going under. They had just lost the lease. So when I asked if I could live there, they said you can, or not live there. If I asked if I could have a space, they said, well, we only have it for two more months. But the thing about that was there's a lot of bands that have been there for years, and they didn't like the fact that they were getting kicked out. So there was rowdy parties in there almost every night. I mostly actually slept in my van outside of the practice space and then would work and, and hang in there all day. But it was... And you talked about recording the record, recording the instruments during the day, and then recording the vocals at, at night. What made you split up the process? necessity because it was so loud I mean even the night was like really late night it would be when all the partying was done when everyone went to bed uh, I would hang at the at Burger Records in the back room and watch TV and stuff till like 4 in the morning and then go back over the practice space and see if someone was still making noise and then uh, record all the quiet stuff do the tambourines and things like that can we hear a song? absolutely what are you going to play first? what should we play first? Yeah. This is the last song on the Lesson and Tenderness record, and a song that uh, we've never played acoustically before. Involves a lot of rocking, so we'll see what we can do.
After living in the van, you moved to L.A. to keep to mix the record, right? I there's a point. I mean, in the practice space, there wasn't a shower or anything. There's a bathroom. I had pretty good athlete's foot going on, so I was washing my feet in the sink a lot and occasional. I remember going and playing a show, uh, like an acoustic show at a college that they invited me to do, and just like begging to go into the dorms and use the shower. So, actually, how much begging? <laughs> like, please, or just like, hey, just a casual. Can I just check out the showers? It was more like um, I just kept hanging out with them. <laughs> like that. Like I was like, all right, the, we're good here. And then they were talking about like a like a senior art show, and I was like. Cool, man. What's going on with that? Like, I loved senior art shows. Let's check that out. And then, like, just kept just kept hanging till I was eventually back in their room. And how was the shower? It's amazing. <laughs> so from there, so um, watching and, and uh, sleeping in the van in the practice space. Well, we have. I went up to L.A. I have I have friends up there as well. We got our mutual friend Taylor Cohen. TC. Uh, Filmmaker, director. Lover. Lover. Well, I crashed with him for a while, which meant he was already crashing on someone's couch. So I started crashing behind the couch that he was already crashing on. So that was a pretty good run there. They had a lot of guys in that house. So you know you can squeeze in. Yeah, no one's going to notice. One more guy behind the couch with the guy crashing on the couch is going to work. But uh, eventually a buddy of mine went on tour and I got to take his room uh, a dude that I played in a band with Kyle Thomas let me take his bedroom for a while so that's where I did a lot of the mixing. yeah I saw that great photo of you Matt and him from like your first tour together back in the day yeah uh, so being at his house you also had access to some of his gear and equipment he didn't have a lot of stuff at the time he had a beautiful backyard with a palm tree that was an umbrella that blocked all the sun out and uh, it was the true Los Angeles experience he had some quality weirdo roommates who I like a lot, and this and a blind cat, which I didn't realize was blind the whole time I lived there. It wasn't until uh, I was just always doing stuff. With, cats are great; they don't need eyesight. I learned. We watched the season finale or the series finale of The Office together, and the cat got it, and it didn't even couldn't even see. <laughs> Sorry. Um... So, did all of these kind of rotating uh, influences and settings help shape the sound of the record or influence you or all the kind of downtime that you had of just kind of hanging out allow you to evolve your sound from the, the previous release? Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, like, like I said, it was four years between releases. There's a lot of evolving sounds already. Uh, just trying... Being out there was good because there's a lot of bands from Los Angeles that I like a lot, so... Being surrounded by contemporary musicians who are doing stuff uh, that I'm into is cool. I think some of the earlier records were more influenced by 60s and 70s bands and just trying... I was catching up with what was going on right now. Who were some of the bands that influenced the sound on this record? Uh, a, lot of, a lot of the contemporary folk bands. Uh, a lot of the burger bands, I'd say. I was hanging with the guys in the Memories, mm. and I like their tunes. Uh, we did a tour when we were doing the West Coast. We were on tour with Natural Child, who I'm a huge fan of. So all of their sounds have come in. 
it's other people are influenced by those earlier bands, but they're doing their own thing, taking it in their own direction. I want to do that. I want to uh, stay contemporary, but also love the music that I've always loved. Yeah, and what sounds did you layer in? Because, I mean, in the last time you were here, you talked a lot about the Beatles and the perfect soundwriting and the 60s and 70s influence. What actual noises or sonic uh, soundscapes have you added on top of the music that you already love and make? Well, I was trying to... The hardest thing is when you don't play keyboards and trying to get some tasteful synths, I think. Uh, there's a lot of untasteful synthesizing going on these days, so you need to find just the right tones that make sense with what you're doing. I think when you're trying to incorporate it into uh, live instruments or acoustic instruments, there are certain sounds that clash and there's certain sounds that work perfectly together, and there's other sounds that clash perfectly. So, mm. can we get another song? Absolutely. What are you gonna play? Uh, do always. One, two, three, four. <laughs>
One of the greatest things to come out of the new record is the Water Than Me video. How long did that take? Well, just to, for people who have not seen it, it's you essentially just moving your hips, walking down the street in multiple locations, in multiple clothing outfits and changes. How long did it take for that to be filmed? All right, and how did you film it? Me and uh, Johnny D, the drummer of the band, shot it in uh, two days. It's an idea I had forever, and I kept throwing it out there for uh, talking to you, Taylor Cohen, <laughs> uh, to many director friends, and they were like, well, okay, that's a good idea, but what about this idea? And I said, uh, this is simple. I think we can do it. And, and John said... I got a better idea, and then we talked about that idea, and then I would convince him to still do this idea, and I thought... <laughs> what was the idea that lost? We got... Well, slow, slow motion video of you going to be on a hoverboard, and everybody kind of throwing things at you. John has... This still might come out, so... Okay. It's on... It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a slow... He wants me to get broken up with... And then walk outside of my apartment, get on a hoverboard, and then go down the street while rows of people on either side of the street throw food at me. I'd watch that for two and a half minutes. Yeah. That's a good one. You, it's yeah. actually for the last song that we just... The oh. song we just played. It's, perfect. Uh, oh, that's perfect. It's just us. It's, basically, he just wants to strap something onto the, the bed of his truck that he thinks he can nail the video in one try. And throw us up a pleasure. Yeah. Just get I it said, out if, there. If, if that thing you strap on in the back of your truck is not aligned just perfectly, that's a lot of food that's going to waste. Yeah, so. that's true. But you could do a test run, like mo- pantomiming the food being thrown. Mm. Yeah. This is why we come on yeah, this is podcast why this is because a... to get those different food ideas. Yeah, there you go. You're have. not a food guy. But for the video, I mean, it looks like it's actually shot over the course of a year just from all the outfit changes, two days. And, and I brought two gigantic suitca- rolly suitcases of outfits. And um, there's actually, there's a point where I'm going up an escalator. Now, what Oh, and there's we, a suitcase there. There's a suitcase. That's yeah. one of the suitcases. <laughs> now, what you can learn from is that... Um, Forever 21 doesn't care what you do on their escalator. Because we tried to get nail it, so we were crossing at the same time. We probably did it four or five times, right? We were in there for like at least 25 minutes. Yeah, we were 25 minutes. Not not one employee questioned what we were doing when we were like like signaling to each other on the escalators to say when we were going to get on. And also, there's if you look at it, there's a woman dancing on the escalator that John's on with a camera, and that was completely unplanned, but it's the greatest part of the whole video. It's really good. I did actually wonder what that suitcase was on the video, because it's just so weird. That it's one of the two suitcases I had that was full of outfit changes. And, and did I see that your wedding made it into the video as well? My actual wedding, yeah. Um, my brother also helped shoot it as well, did some good work, but uh, may, probably the best thing he did was... He was, uh, I mean, I was, groom, you know, groomsman. He was my only groomsman. What's yeah, the, he's best the, man. The best man. The groomsman, the best. I mean, he's got a lot of hats. When you go to City get. Hall, I don't know, you need a guy. Yeah, you need he one guy. He was my guy. He's a witness. And he said, I know this is your wedding, but you're going to really want this shot. And so he made uh, me do my hip wiggle dance at the, at the chapel. I mean, City Hall. your wife looked like she was a good sport. She looked grumpy, but that was even better. Yeah, yeah. She is a good sport. She is a good sport. 
Um, well, I want to make sure we have time for one more song. Thanks for coming on the show again. Hopefully, it won't be four years for the next time. Uh, where can people we get? We just got out of we just got out of recording studio doing a new EP. Oh, uh, last week. Oh, perfect. Um, so, where can people find the record? Um, find you, uh, see your shows, offer you a place to shower, etc. Uh, we're on all the music sources if you want to listen to the tunes and I don't we don't have anything coming up we're going right into the holiday season here so yeah. by the way when we lo- we play around New York a lot and uh, Bryce just asked us to go play this festival we set up in Atlanta so we'll be hopefully down there in the March cool as well as doing a little bit of touring down there and we play around the New York area a lot um, where we last left you final question you were working on your Twitter game any anything to update four years later? I mean, I got I get one good one like every four months. That's on par with your music writing. Yes, <laughs> you're right. That's yeah. Okay, cool. It's like, that's my I, entire artistic style. I'm sensing a pattern here. Uh, well, big thank you to Gorilla Tacos, and uh, if you haven't done it yet, uh, we are nominated for Taste Awards for Best Radio Show and Best Podcast. If you go to bit.do backslash stvote, that's bit.do backslash stvote, we'd really appreciate it if you voted for us. Vote twice. Podcast and radio. Vote for Snacky Tunes. Thanks. Um, well, thanks for, thanks for coming on. Uh, hope you have a good Thanksgiving. What are you going to take us out with? This is a song about... I work night shifts. I live the nightlife still. And my wife, she works days, so this is a song about her letting me sleep because she always trying to wake me up in the morning, and that's rude.
talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.